Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good afternoon from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and I have Trent back on with us for the second week in a row. Trent. I feel honored. Well, you should be. You, you really should be. <laughs> yeah, you should. That's right. Well, I, it's that time of the year, too. We, so, For sure. We do have Trent on the phone this week because the, the topic came up on kind of short notice. I've been actually in Starkville for the last couple of days, Trent. I was over there, and, and so Tom was wrangling on topics. He's been running around looking at variety trials and things like that that he does in the fall. So he came up with an idea, and so on kind of short notice, we were able to work ourselves onto Trent's schedule. Tom, what are we going to talk about? But don't dive off into it yet because, you know, I still got to ask Trent something. We're going to talk about green stem. On soybeans. On soybeans. That's right. Green so, green stem of soybean. I won't say any more. Well, so I just want to make, can, I mean, not everybody that listens to this may be in the soybean industry. True. There may be some people that don't right offhand know what green stem is. There's truth to that. Okay, Trent. My question for you, this is not a, a goofy question. I'm legitimately an, interested in your answer. So we talked last week in you're getting into or or are well into now harvesting your county variety trials so in the years you've been doing this so 10 12 years now what is the highest number that you've ever harvested whether it be in a strip plot or a demo field or even a small plot i'm not going to count small plots okay Uh, that's fair i'd really i'd really count something that actually measures out in the acres 96 and some change is the one that stands out in my head. Uh, I don't remember surpassing that one. That was four or five years ago now. That's strong. Yeah, that's the kind of thing. you. you I, I joked at the time and said I was going to have a custom wooden soybean pod trophy made and pass it around kind of like the Egg Bowl trophy if we kept doing stuff like that. Tom, you got a number off the top of your head? I probably had something in that ballpark, probably in the 80s. I'd say probably 82 or 83 is probably the best we've ever cut. Trent, here's my stupid example offering for you. So I was looking at some stuff the other day. This was small plot, so take it with a grain of salt. But I had a weed control test, solid palmer. I mean, pigweeds on top of the pigweeds, the non-treated check. Across the four plots, average 72 bushels. Wow. (laughs) It's the the ground, man. It's ridiculous. Now, if we wanted to talk about low numbers, the lowest thing I've ever seen would be something on the order of like less than two bushels that came out of a variety trial plot. Oh, my low number is zero. We get get lots of zeros. that That was a disease issue. I mean, that was a, that was an eye opener. And one of those that that's why we spend so much time squawking about that particular disease. Well, you and I, it's the nature, nature of the business. You and I would be more inclined to remember low in what we do. And Trent would be more inclined to remember high. <laughs> yeah, those, those high numbers. And, you know, when I say acres, I'm, I'm, I'm strip, strip trials or small acres in some kind of demo plot, you know, I, a 96 bushel yield will stand out in your head for a long time. That's the kind you get the calculator out make sure you did it right. No question. The low ones because of some crazy weed problem or because we 
sprayed something that smacked the crop pretty hard. They just make me chuckle. Like, ooh, look at that. That's bad. That's my response. That's, <laughs> Don't do that. That's that's why Tom tends to walk plots when there's nobody in earshot. Get a lot of comments come out of my mouth. So one of you fellas jump off into the topic of green stem. I, I think we do need to define it. I think there's the source of it. There's a variety of things. Tom, kind of be similar to a disorder, meaning that there's a bunch of different things that can cause uh, but what amounts to a symptom, right? I would say yes. Good. I, I used plant pathology and I think terminology correctly. Trent, I'm proud of you. Trent should probably give us the definition on that and yeah. what exactly we refer to when we say a soybean plant has green stem disorder. So green stem disorder, I, I think I, I know that we as an industry often will use that term to describe anything that makes the plant stay green and that's not necessarily the case but for for the sake of argument i I think that that's the way we'll talk about it today true green stem disorder often results back to a genetic problem so that that plant is not capable of drying down when it should so the pods will all mature every single one of them can mature they can even be on the point of shattering and you'd have solid green stems and petioles. I've even seen full canopy green leaves with dried down pods on it before. So that's, that's an extreme example, uh, not something that I've ever seen in a commercial setting, certainly not more than once. You know, again, to take it back to the level, genetics plays a factor into green stems, certainly. Then we have a variety of, of other issues, I think, that, that can cause that. Probably the most common thing that we see in terms of general greenness at harvest time, you know, I could attribute some to variability in the emergence of that plant. So we, we might have plants in the field that came up a, a day or two or, or a few days, you know, in, in, in the same row. And then you get that variation uh, at, at maturity. You have some plants dropping leaves and some still green, and, and you just get that unevenness across the field. Of course, then, Tom, you know, some disease issues perhaps contribute to it. Certainly, something like an infestation of red banded stink bugs can contribute to it. So there's just a multitude of, of reasons that we, we can see this, this green stem or general green problem in the field. Oh, yeah. And it's it goes even beyond just the fact that there are some and some of this would be pure speculation. Some diseases can exacerbate that more than others. But you can also certainly increase the amount of green stem in a field depending upon the fungicide product you applied. And you definitely can draw direct correlations to that. But, you know, years ago, I mean, before Trent became the soybean specialist, when the old 94B73 was one of the number one varieties we planted across the state for a multitude of reasons, when you made an application of a fungicide that contained a strobilurin product, any of those products that contained the QOI or the strobilurin component, you would more often than not increase the amount of observable green stem in almost all of the fields of that particular variety. Do I hear more conversations about green stem now because it's become more of a problem 
or because soybeans have taken a higher priority over the past decade? I'd probably say a combination of both. I, I think that as a result of soybeans taking a higher priority over the last decade, there's you know perhaps more work being done in the in the genetic side of things, making leaps and bounds and trying to trying to generate newer varieties and changing genetic often. You know, the, the shelf life of some of the commercial varieties we have is relatively short, I think, compared to what it was even 15 years ago. Yeah, I mean, Tom referenced that 94B73. I feel like it, in my memory at least, hung around for a number of years, Tom. Yeah, I mean, that was like 15, 16 years ago, I recall that one, and I don't remember how many years it, it oh, I don't either, stayed but around, but it, it certainly seemed like you heard about it more for, or for a prolonged period of time versus what you run across now. You're talking about two to three years of marketability of that particular variety, and then it's pretty much it's gone. I mean, there's a handful of them that you can still call the number off the top of your head. Trent, how does the harvest aid factor into this? And I'm thinking from the angle of do we notice it because of the percentage of acres that are getting a harvest aid, maybe the plant's maturing, and then we knock the leaves off of it, and then we still got some green stem, and we can see more readily see the green stem. Yeah, I think that's that's a realistic scenario. The way I describe it, it boils down to the timing of that application and making it maybe a little bit more visible because we, we are spraying a little earlier than we did even five years ago. All right, so the the, the more green there is in that field, you know, certainly there's going to be some level of variability in most fields, and then when we knock those leaves off, it, it, it becomes evident. So it's certainly not a causation of the harvest date. I think it's more related to the application timing and, and making it more visual. How do the products that we rely on as harvest aids and soybeans how do they affect it so for example if a stem is green just naturally it's still green do the harvest aids that we prefer to use have an effect on the stem of a plant a couple of times i've had the opportunity to spray you know a whole test in fields that were without question, a genetic cause. So so it was one of those scenarios where the plant was extremely green and the pods were mature. And in that type of situation where you have some kind of genetic contribution to it, it's difficult. It, it's You can't hardly kill it. I've done it with every product we have at our disposal and combinations of three or four of them together in the tank. And to the best of my memory, in, in that type of situation, you might begin to get a little bit of activity on drying that stem down, but it took every bit of two to three weeks before it would start kind of going back the other way. So, again, that's an extreme example. In most of our situations, I think, in in the last five years, uh, it's been rare that, that we've had a, a situation where one of the harvest days and in this situation, I'll just, you know, I'll spell it out. I think paraquat and sodium chlorate tank mixed together would be the the application of choice in a green stem situation. One, you're having two products working, but two, that sodium chlorate is a, is a true desiccant. So, you know, its job there is to, to try to reduce the moisture content inside that plant and that seed. So, again, 
in the last five years, I really can't think of very many situations where we weren't successful, although we might have to wait a little longer than we want to to, to allow that plant, to, that, you know, that harvest day, to have time to do what it needs to do. Don't you have to be careful in some of those situations, too? Because if the pods draw down already on its own and you go out and you add a desiccant to that situation, aren't you basically going to dry something down even more so you might end up with shattering if you do end up having to wait an extended period of time for a stem to dry out enough for you to cut it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I would evaluate each one of these scenarios on a field-by-field basis. Anytime we add a desiccant to the mix, it, it increases the possibility of shattering potential. Of course, you know, that's related to to the condition of the, the plant and the stalk and, and the pod itself, as well as the environmental conditions going on at that time. But regardless, it would be something to, to keep in mind and to be wary of if, if there was a potential for excess shattering. I've not looked recently, and I certainly don't tend to ask these types of questions, but how many seed companies generate data and information on that whereby if somebody was wanting to get that information on a specific variety they could ask the seed company do you know what the propensity of this particular variety is to producing green stem i think most of the seed companies whether it's in the literature with with each one of those variety and their seed guides or not they're all paying attention to it you know in today's world certainly within the last eight years maybe even more like the last 10 years Anytime that I've seen like a new variety that, that's on limited acres come out and then all of a sudden we have some kind of phenomenon, whether it be environmental or, or what, but it triggered that, that green stem to hang around, you know, that's something that those seed companies are aware of and, and they can they can recognize that's probably not going to make it in the long run and they'll pull that one from the market. Just for folks that may not be up to speed on the topic, Trent, I think one thing that we missed on the front end when you were describing green stem was what are the implications in a field that's affected with green stem? Yeah, that's a good point. So anybody not familiar with the problem, if you have any kind of excess green matter in the field during the harvest process, so you're obviously going to run the risk of increasing the moisture in the load when you're taking it to the elevator, Probably equally important to that is just the reduced harvest efficiency. You know, I've, I've seen combines have to slow way down to, to cut through some of this excess green. And and I know you're all familiar with that. You can, be, you can be out in the field around it. It smells like fresh cut grass after it's gone through there and, and mowed it all down. All the stems behind the machine are green. So certainly reduced harvest efficiency and then, and then dockage at the elevator would be the, the two biggest impacts. I was going to say the one time we did that, it did smell like cut grass, and we were trying to figure out why there wasn't anything cycling through the back of the combine. And then we realized that, oh, um, well, it just so happens that the combine is jammed so full of green plant material that we're going to have to stop and dig everything out of it. That was a miserable afternoon. Absolutely. Especially if the mosquitoes are bad. Thankfully, that day they weren't bad. As an inside joke, we were talking about the big brown fall mosquitoes before we started. What can soybean farmers do to prevent green stem? Short of making a varietal choice, is there anything that we know that can decrease the likelihood of that happening? And that's a purely speculative question. I mean, to me, the first thing that comes to my mind is the points you made earlier about certain management practices that might impact it. And I know, just like you do, I've seen the fungicide thing 
uh, caused the, the problem. Uh, and, and I don't know, Tom, maybe you want to expand on it, but I, I wonder if that may be also somewhat related to application time and maybe a later fungicide application time and may have a greater impact on the, the green stem than others. I'm not sure. That's actually not a bad point. I don't know that I've looked at that specifically. I, I have gone so far. You know, I do walk a lot of plots and look at that that we spray and planning on doing it this year's because there, there was no disease. But there are definitely some products that I think can increase the likelihood of that happening. And certainly knowing that before you choose a particular product is pretty important. And I know that, you know, we, we float some of that information out there. Sometimes we don't do a grand job of, of providing some of that, but there's definitely some of that out there. But I've seen environment do it too. And I know everybody hates it when we start hashing around environment. Well, what do they mean by environment? They're just, they're just blaming the environment because they don't know what the answer is to that particular situation. And sometimes we don't know what the answer is. And, and I would have honestly expected to see a little bit more green stem because it was so hot and dry. But some of the plots I've walked and I've walked four or five of the variety trial locations and granted three of them are here in Stoneville. But just to talk about the three in Stoneville between an irrigated loam and a dryland loam and an irrigated clay, they were three completely different locations. The dryland loam, there wasn't a single green plant in that field. Now the irrigated loam isn't even a hundred yards away from that. And there were some of those varieties that were in both tests. And I'm talking 98% of a couple of those entries were nothing but green plants, still green stems, still had green leaves, pods ready to go. And I don't really understand how to explain that other than environment did something with the genetics of that particular entry to allow that to happen. I've seen a similar situation. I think environment definitely is a big driver of it. In years where we've had some level of flooding, I'm not talking about extreme flooding that, that kills part of the field, but those that, that, that come on the field and gets off the field in a relatively short period of time and, and the stand survives, that stress, whatever happens during that stress event, I have seen that trigger differences in varieties and differences in genetics in, in the amount of green stem that presents at harvest time. Trent, one of the next big things that guys are going to be doing, it will be choosing varieties for next year. So as you begin to look at varieties, some data is obvious. You know, how's it yield? Soil texture, it performs well on those types of things. But in the the big collection of information that's available for varieties, where does green stem fall on the level of importance when you're choosing a variety i mean i think it's i think it's you know after the obvious ones i I would i would rank it because it's not something that's going to present every year it's it's you know if it's a genetic problem it could potentially be every year but if it's an environmental thing it's going to depend on the environmental conditions that year obviously so i wouldn't stress it as the the most important thing but it would be something that i would look at like uh for example you know, obviously yield and then disease tolerances, I think those are very, very important for variety selection decisions. And then move down to some of the other characteristics by looking at, you know, how tall that plant was able to get on whatever soil texture, you know, you're interested in. And then look at the level of green stem presented. Uh, we do rate that. We, we try to capture 
a visual estimate rating on all of our on-farm demo plots. So keep in mind, most of those get sprayed with a harvest day, if not all of them get sprayed with a harvest day. And then sometimes even following the harvest day, when we show up, we can see some differences in green stem. So we, we document that and publish that with the yield data as well. So I think that's a, a valuable resource, I guess, to look at uh, from a, a difference in variety opportunity. I would agree with that. You know, I, I think my biggest concern is somebody needs to make sure they're choosing stem canker resistant varieties. That's the number one thing I always tell them. That's, that's an absolute positive must. Make sure it's resistant to stem canker and then focus on some of the other attributes of that particular variety and make that decision moving forward. Trent, we're going to drop this episode next week on October the 3rd, which will be two months out from the short course. And I know you talked about it last week when you were on with us, but can't ever say too much about the row crop short course. I will tell you that I stayed in Starville last night and I was able to get my room moved over to the room block. <laughs> so I got yeah. a greatly discounted price compared with what I had originally booked it at. No doubt about it. Yeah. So when this episode drops, I, I do hope that uh, we will have been able to release the advertisement with the, with the room options and, and things of that that go along with that. Maybe the preliminary program and, and the lodging options with the room block choices. We're still working on finalizing that, but, Again, December 4th, 5th, and 6th, sure hope you know everybody can join us. I think we're going to have another great program this year. A lot of good speakers have agreed to come and present their, their knowledge to our group, so we're looking forward to it. Hey, thanks for taking the time out of your day. I know Harvest is you know full steam ahead, finishing some of those things up. We're all running around trying to get this season behind us at this point, so we really yeah. appreciate it. I appreciate it, too. It's amazing how much has changed since we spoke last week on the harvest. It's just, just, man, it's going fast, so fast. Trent, appreciate it, buddy. Thanks, guys. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.